Welcome everyone to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host, David Bodger. Terrific. So this week, we are going to do something I know that you're going to like, Dave. We are covering animals in warfare. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, you're, I know you're going to like that. And I've got several crazy stories lined up for you this week. Uh, lots of crazy stories. And uh, Dave, you have something for us as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Good. And I was a bit strapped for time this week with uh, Memorial Day, and I've actually been a little sick the last couple days, but I came through, and we're going to have a fun episode for everyone. Right on. And we hope enjo- we hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode about the vultures of the Amazon, the piranha. I enjoyed last week's yeah. episode. A lot of interesting things. Um, and as you, if you remember, if you listened, uh, piranha's not as bad as you probably previously thought they were. I mean, they will eat you, but you're probably <laughs> going to be already dead in the in the river by then. Yeah. But uh, go back and check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, as always, we are joined in the studio by Colonel Cheetor. Of course I'm here, you jabronis. It's not like you'd take me out anywhere. <laughs> no, uh, you don't. No, you, you kind of stay put right there, don't you? <laughs> I don't think you've moved in a long time. He stands at attention for a long time. <laughs> that helmet still doesn't fit him all the way. We oh, seriously no. have an uh, army... Is that World War II helmet? Yeah. Colonel Cheetor wears a, a a real actual helmet. Hey, he's he's fitting into the So episode. he does. He fits right in. And you know how we call call him Colonel Cheetor? There's a lot of other animals we're going to talk about that have uh, names like that. There's nice. sergeants, colonels. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning into us. We've been doing real well on our downloads lately. Last last week, we had our most hits in a day, so that's really cool to see that. Right on. Uh, so thank you, everyone. And if you enjoy the show, something you can do is go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Say something you like about the show. And I know I say this every week. Uh, the ratings and reviews really do help uh, our podcast gain attention uh, and gain more listeners. So the reviews actually do mean more than you think. So please go ahead and do that for us. It means a lot. All right. You're kind of ready to get going? Yeah. All right. So th- th- there's a re- there's really a lot to cover here. Animals have played a role in warfare since there was warfare. Yeah. So forever. Uh, animals have been turned into weapons they have been used as transportation for people and equipment and even used in the role of mascots to kind of boost morale for troops so we are going what we're going to do is we're going to focus on some stories kind of more unconventional stories that somehow involve animals in warfare and also to let everybody know this is part one uh there's way too much to fit in this for one one episode, so we are going to also do an, a part two next week. I'll have more time to do research, and we can hit a little, a couple other things I wanted to touch on. Sounds good. So yeah, yeah this week is kind of be more. Just got some fun stories yeah. for everyone. You could probably even have like you could almost separate uh, each war and have you really could for each you, war in there. Yeah, no, like with uh, World War One and Two especially. Oh, there's yeah. there's a lot of them out there, and we're gonna cover a couple of them. But yeah, there's so many. Uh, Anyway, throughout history, many animals have played a part in warfare. Some of the more common ones that you would typically think about are horses. Horses Mm -hmm. might be the main one, I would kind of think. Yeah. And were used, there we go, they were used for many things. Charging into battle, transportation, 
other things, way so many things. Yeah, I mean, they changed the face of war when they used yeah. it as cavalry, or or like um, they changed the West. Are you talking about for the in the West? No, for, for just war, in general. In yeah, war. yeah, when, in general. When they you're started right. riding them into combat. That yeah, changed. You're exactly right. It changed and, warfare, and the horses helped the movement in in the United States move westward. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that horses have done. Uh, also, camels were a big one as well. Yeah, camels were. Um, they also they did some kind of the same things horses did for a lot of the part. But uh, also, you have elephants, dogs, pigeons, cats, and a bunch more. Uh, and that's going to take us to our first story. Let's get into it. Uh, involving any of these animals, this story involves bats. Oh. It sounds weird, right? Yeah. But in order to tell all of these stories, Dave, we need to do something first. Hmm. I think we need to dust off the old time machine. Sometime. Somewhere. That's right. We haven't used the time machine in quite a while. No. Uh, and we are, for this first story, we're going to be bouncing back in between wars and stuff, just because that's how I found them. But uh, <laughs> uh, first, let's go to World War II. So this was a bizarre experimental weapon developed by the United States during World War II. This weapon was called the Bat Bomb. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I, I, I have heard a story on this before. Have you? I don't know if it was correct or not. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. So the plan called for a thousand live bats per bomb, with a tiny in, with and they have in tiny incendiary devices fitted to each bat. Uh, all thousand bats would be uh, housed inside a casting that would be dropped from a U.S. warplane, and they planned on doing this over Japan. Uh, the idea was that the bats and their attached incendiaries would seek out wooden Japanese homes and buildings, because most things were made of wood there mm-hmm. back then. And they what they wanted to do is that would start thousands of small fires across the city. Sounds crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this bat bomb was taken seriously, mainly because it was thought up by a friend of the United States First Lady, oh. Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. Eleanor Roosevelt, she, she is a character i've i've liked uh, i've always liked her she, she's she's oh, yeah. interesting uh eleanor roosevelt is but uh president roosevelt uh theodore roosevelt approved this idea in 1942 and the united states military spent more than two million dollars trying to get it going uh, more than six thousand bats were used in testing during testing most bats plunged to the ground and died hmm uh, while the others kind of just flew away. Uh, after testing the idea, it was deemed ineffective and was scrapped. Is that... What? Yeah, but I thought uh, the story I heard is when they were testing them, they put stuff, the bombs on them, and they flew around and were causing chaos. I wouldn't doubt like, that. Because like, they'd fly under a jeep or something. No, you're, and then... I think I didn't hear that. I, oh, okay. I, think, I, don't, I didn't write it down, but I think when they were testing somewhere that, yeah, I think they crawled into to some um, higher-up authority guy's uh, car and lit a fire <laughs> in the car. I wasn't able to get details on that, but I, did, I do think oh, okay. I read it. So I okay. think you are right on that. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, bat bomb. That's a wacky <laughs> Maybe idea. Maybe that's how they, yeah, it's, it's pretty batty. It's pretty, maybe. You know what might have worked better is if uh, they had, if they got bats that with rabies and they spread rabies 
<laughs> there you go. Instead of a, a, bat, a bat rabies bomb. Maybe that's how rabies came about. No, it was probably prior to the war. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> but uh, maybe that would have worked better. Think uh, about that. that. Maybe that is something. I yeah. Know. Let it loose on an island. Let him loose on an island. Maybe. Ooh. All right. Just so, come back, what, uh, 30 to 60 days later? <laughs> 30 to 60, yeah. <laughs> so our next store, we are going way back. We are going to 198 B.C. Mm-hmm. So the Roman armies, they besieged the, okay, I'm not going to get this this uh, word right, Atrinians. Oh, I've never even heard of them. Yeah, Atrinians at the city of Hatra in modern-day Iraq. Hmm. I think that's how you say it, but. No, so, it's Iraq. No, I know how to say I was I, just Iraq. I'm talking <laughs> about Atrinians. That's, I don't know how to say that. But according to ancient accounts, the Atrinians seem to have perfected a method of handling scorpion, scorpions without endangering themselves. Ooh. So they filled up um, clay pots with scorpions and hurled them down at the attacking Romans. <laughs> the the angry that would that would, that would uh, disperse that turtle that turtle shell they do <laughs> the, with the shields. I, yeah. I don't even know if they were doing, but yeah, exactly. They're gonna fall <laughs> to the ground eventually. Ingenious. Yeah. So the angry scorpions then would like um, sting the soldiers uh, before they even knew there there were scorpions there. Think about Whoa. it. Like, what was that? A clay pot? And then I'll... What's like, in my armor? <laughs> yeah. And then some... That's going to freak out the line. Yeah. Nice. I, I can imagine freaking out and stepping back when I see scorpions at my feet or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and oh, this, yeah. They were only wore sandals. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to get them. And this was fairly effective. And the Romans actually gave up their siege of Hatra. Wow. Uh, I, 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 I kind of... I, I don't think the scorpions were the main reason for this but it is a wacky idea and i could see this being effective and scaring uh, army away like yeah. you know at least for temporary yeah and, i mean obviously they can just go and yeah. stab them after they're done but for the first few minutes it's gonna freak them out maybe that's when you pick them off i don't know what year was that again like a hundred what did i say a hundred 98 bc wow sounds like they invented the uh, scorpion weapon prior to the actual scorpion weapon in warfare <laughs> oh, what's a scorpion weapon you're it's talking the about? big uh spear uh, oh, what do you call it? it shoots uh multiple almost like spear sized things whoosh oh at, at, yeah at, at I, armies, I, was it in um it's not not a catapult. It medieval it doesn't stuff? shoot rocks and or catapult rocks it shoots uh spears yeah, bunch okay. of at the same time. Yeah, it's more medieval. Okay, I get it. I, I know yeah. what you're talking about now. But yeah, hey, scorpions, that, <laughs> that kind of works. And we will have a scorpion episode sometime as well. We haven't oh, really, yeah. That'd we haven't, we haven't really touched on insects yet. We haven't. Like, we, we got to do spiders, scorpions. We've covered snakes. They're not insects, but uh, we've got some things like that to do as well. And bees. Yeah, all those are in the book, and they're gonna happen. These episodes, yeah, they're just a little more difficult because you got thousands of different species of all of them. That's true, if not more. So we'll just have to like pick a few and talk about them. Yeah, all right. So let's go to another wacky idea that actually worked. Okay, this this one might be my favorite that we're gonna. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's go to 1936. This is during the Spanish Civil War. Hmm. That I'm sure nobody knows about, <laughs> and I honestly didn't. Know, I honestly didn't know that there was a war in Spain at this time. 
it probably gets overshadowed by World War II. Yeah. Uh, but during one point in the war, some 1,200 nationalist civil guards were driven onto the hills and then found themselves trapped in the mountain monastery of Santa Maria de la Cabeza. Nice. I think that's right. Sounded good. Yeah, it sounded good, so we'll keep it. Uh, after diminished supplies of food, water, ammo, and medicine, the only way to get more supplies was by airdrop. Now, this is this is uh, really crazy. Somewhere along the line, somebody had an ingenious idea. Okay, so they can only get food from airdrops, right? Mm-hmm. They were also really low on parachutes. They have basically zero parachutes. Hmm. So, how do you... I uh, guess supplies without using parachutes, Dave. Balloons? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, after strategizing, pilots began attaching supplies to live turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. And dropping turkeys? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So the, Wait, is the turkey the supply or do they actually Well, it's stuff a, on? it ends up being a part of it. I'll tell you that. But no, they attached... Uh, supplies to live turkeys. So the reason, and no parachutes either, is that turkeys would flap their wings as they fell, <laughs> and which would slow their descent. And this worked, as most supplies weren't damaged. Wow. But it, having a turkey, can you think, <laughs> just a flapping turkey with a with a bunch of, uh, what are they called, bandoliers attached to them, oh and just falling goodness. from the sky... And that's seriously what happened. I mean, turkeys can fly, but being pushed off a plane, they probably probably couldn't catch their bearings. Probably twice its weight. Yeah. <laughs> they probably weighed it down. And probably, probably couldn't catch their bearings enough, I guess. So not only did the nationalists get their supplies, they got exploded turkey dinners, too. The turkeys just came and they hit the ground. Oh, man. <laughs> and then they have, yeah, they got... Pluck the feathers off, and probably <laughs> probably a big bomb of feathers from each turkey falling. But isn't that funny? Oh yeah, that was one of my favorite stories. It even came demolted. Yeah. <laughs> turkey dinner along with supplies. <laughs> so if yes. you're if you're on a plane and you can't find a parachute, grab that turkey. <laughs> Maybe that will work. Yes. I think every plane should now have a supply of turkeys, Maybe just in case. Maybe that's where TV turkey dinners came from. <laughs> <laughs> from the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, maybe. So, however, even with the turkeys, the nationalists were overtaken a few months later. Hmm. But isn't the turkeys falling from the sky? Yeah. That's funny. That is. That is. <laughs> I guess it's pretty smart, though. I kind of sad for the turkeys. I mean, it but... worked, so yeah. it's an, it is an ingenious idea. Yeah, it makes it kind of makes sense a little bit when you think about it. Yeah. Them flapping. Yeah, maybe that even helps uh, up uh, Ben Franklin's uh, desire to have the turkey be our national bird. You know, <laughs> I think Ben Franklin so happened war. first. <laughs> it did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless they dropped him from trees, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's continue. So this next story is very bizarre, and actually. Not the only time something similar has happened like this before in history. But here we go. And we are going to 1398. Hmm. And we meet the Mongolian chieftain named Timur, I think, who is invading India. Mongolians are pretty well known for invading. 
Uh, Genghis Khan, I, I looked him like when he was alive. Uh, mm-hmm. Genghis Khan died in 1225 uh, or something like that. I can't. Yeah, that's what I got written down. So this is like over a hundred years later. The Mongolians are still going at it. I don't. I don't know. I'm not too. I don't know too much about Mongolian history. And do you? Uh, not a lot. Yeah, I don't know a lot. It's enough to say much more than that. I watched Marco Polo on Netflix. That was pretty good. It covers that the, cover it covers about, uh, okay. the uh, Mongolians. Yeah, you know, I, I do know. know I do know Genghis Khan really stuff. liked to rape and pillage. <laughs> I do know that. Like he was, he had babies with so many women. Oh, he he impregnated so many women. I wouldn't doubt everyone did back then. Oh yeah, yeah I'll, maybe another time. We'll... How else did they make soldiers for all their wars? You know, <laughs> they just invade and tell them you're going to war for us now all the time, everywhere. <laughs> we lost our population. Well, I'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been his attitude. All right, but anyway, this guy Timur uh, marched his army to Delhi, and was met. By the army of uh, Sultan Muhammad Khan, hmm. who had 120 war elephants at his command. Wow. But the elephants aren't the insane part. There's something more insane? The insane part is what Timur used to counter the elephants. He used camels. Oh, I thought you were going to say mice for a second there. But... <laughs> <laughs> he used camels, but these camels were also on fire. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Khan was confident on victory and ordered his army along with the elephants to advance. Timur needed to do something. His army was starting to panic. Timur had heard that elephants were easily startled, which is true. They they are easily startled. Mm. So he got the he he didn't he had nothing else to lose. Uh. So Timur ordered all the camels to the front lines then covered them with straw and flammable oil and set them on fire. Oh my goodness, that is so mean. Yeah, there's there's a lot of mean stuff that we've done to animals wow. and more. But the camels being on fire, uh, they started charging forward towards the elephants and they scared the shit out of the elephants. The elephants then turned around and ran. Which yeah, is un- not dumb. Well, which is unfortunate for the Indian army because they were <laughs> they were right behind the elephants. Now, uh, Khan, <laughs> Khan could only watch helplessly as his elephants ran over his army, and no one could stop stop their stampede, oh, and wow. which pretty much destroyed his army. <laughs> One hundred and twenty elephants, isn't? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, just wow. and then they're turning around, just bashing people out of the way. That would be a sight to see. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Tim- we didn't even have to fire a shot then. No. Timor oh, they didn't have guns back then, but <laughs> an arrow. Oh, there you go. Timor would go on to pillage and I'm assuming rape all of Del Delphi or Delhi Delhi Delphi yeah. Delhi. Timor then added that uh, the ele- he then added the elephants to his army which he then took to Ankara for more pillaging and, I'm assuming, raping. Wow. And he, pro- and he probably wrote in his rule book, uh, stay back at least 100 yards from these <laughs> Yeah, so that nobody else gets the same <laughs> idea. And this was all due to lighting camels on fire. And like I said, wow. this isn't the only time that that's happened in war. I read another story where uh, they, lit, they lit pigs on fire and did the same thing. Oh, my goodness. So uh, if you're being attacked by an elephant, light something on fire. Gee, and that's how they invented bacon. <laughs> wow. All right. 
I got another story here. We are going to World War One, and we are going to meet a famous goat. Mm. This goat's name is Bill, for Billy Goat. <laughs> how original. Yeah, how original. <laughs> so... In 1914, Canadian soldiers traveling through uh, Broadview in Canada, when soldiers spotted a young woman named Daisy on the train platform, Daisy had her goat for some reason, which she then gave to these soldiers. And they named him Bill and took him to basic training in Ontario. Then Bill was secretly packed away on a ship to London and then again sent to France. To the front lines. Wow. Yeah. The soldiers were ordered to leave him behind, but brought him anyway. And the soldiers treated Bill as one of the guys, pretty Mm. much. He was one of the boys. One time, Bill was court-martialed for eating uh, (laughs) uh, another officer's roll. (laughs) He was uh, court-martialed a second time for uh, uh, charging on a superior. Like butting him, head butting nice. him. How do you plead? Bad. <laughs> okay, that was a good one. Uh, uh, but don't worry, because Bill proved himself in battle. In February 1915, he was given the rank of sergeant. Wow. This goat is a sergeant. Uh, during battle, Sergeant Bill had several shrapnel wounds, and he survived. Wow. He also had shell shock and trench foot. Mm. So he was suffering. Trench hoof? Tren- yeah, I guess tre- trench hoof. <laughs> Do you know what trench foot is? I, I don't. I don't either. I assume it's like where they start getting gangrene or something. Yeah, that's I what know. I was thinking too. Uh, then one time he even disappeared for some reason, leaving all of his comrades worried. But he was eventually found and he was safe and sound. Nice. Sergeant Bill is also credited with saving three three people's lives. Wow. Goats have really good hearing. They have a lot better hearing than we do. So it's believed that he heard a shell coming and he butted uh, another sergeant and two others into a mud-filled trench just before a shell exploded oh, where nice. they where that right where they were standing and they all survived. Wow. Bill received the General Service Medal and the Victory Medal after the war. Uh, he fought with the 5th Infantry Battalion. And after the war, when they returned home, Sergeant Bill led the parade. Nice. Uh, when he died, Bill was stuffed and eventually returned to Broadview, where he is now in a place of honor in the Broadview Museum and is considered a Canadian hero of World War One. That's awesome. That is it's kind of a cool story. Yeah. Huh? And let that be a lesson to all soldiers, you know. Even though you're court-martialed, you can still become sergeant. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were going to say, let that be a lesson to all you goats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and nice. there there was an episode about him on the Travel Channel show called Mysteries at the Museum. I never oh. I never watched it. Do you know oh, that show? No, I've never heard of that one. I'll have to look that one yeah, up. Yeah, he's been in a couple... i see that. Uh, he's kind of a famous character in Canada, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool story, though. Huh? Yeah. All right, so... We're gonna we're just gonna stay in World War One for now, and uh, we're gonna talk about a story. And this story is about cats mm. uh, in World War One. Uh, an, an estimated fifth or five hundred thousand cats served in the Great War. Wow! Yeah, one of the biggest roles cats played was rodent patrol. Mm. 
That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, cats literally are little murderers. <laughs> they are you, like you have a cat yeah uh, mikey mikey is a little murderer i've seen him kill grasshoppers oh that was his favorite thing to do yeah chase grass all cats are little murderers whether you like it or not <laughs> and he tortures them you know it's like i'll take yeah. one leg and leave the rest of them cats come back for you like tomorrow that. so they're the perfect animal for this <laughs> don't go too far ha 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 yeah that's just the cat mentality they're, yeah they're little murderers uh, but uh yeah so they were the biggest roles played uh, for rodent patrol uh, in ships and in the trenches. Think about in the trenches with like terrible conditions yeah. and dead bodies that obviously attracts rats and having cats in the trenches was good for everyone. And soldiers got a little relief with them being there. You know, they got to pet the cats and, yeah. uh, and they got rid of the rats. So kind of a win-win, yeah. but, uh, being in those trenches, can you imagine being in those trenches? Wouldn't that be like the worst? I can't think of anything worse than being in those trenches. Yeah. They've that had some been. movies on it that seem to do it justice. You can, you know, mm-hmm. it's always just seems so dark and wet. Yeah, and and they have to st- they stay in there they because if there. they get out, pff, they're gonna get shot. Yeah, there was like even just poking anything out there gets shot. Yeah, that sounds just awful. Yeah. All right, but uh. These cats were also used to detect gas, uh, poison mm-hmm. gas. There was a lot of chemical warfare in World War One, so cats were sent in, and if the uh, if the cats died to gases, then soldiers didn't go in. Mm, yeah, because they're gonna die. They're a lot smaller, so they they don't need to breathe in as much of that gas. Yeah. And they'll, they'll die pretty quickly. But yeah, that was kind of a signal. Don't go there. That's crazy. And these cats were also very useful on ships. Which they have been, they've, cats have been on ships for forever since there's been ships. They wanted them on there to keep get rid of um, mice and rats, right? Yeah. Um, without the presence of cats, a crew might find their ship overrun with rats and mice that would eat into their provisions, chew through ropes, and spread disease. Yeah. So you got to get rid of those rats. Yeah. Uh, and you can see the importance of having these cats around. Yeah. And many uh, superstitious sailors believed that cats protected them and they would bring in, they would bring them good luck. Yeah. It's true that's why you know dogs and cats were always uh, touted as you know the most domesticated animal for us. We, we keep them as pets. Yeah. Because the, there was always a symbiotic relationship with with both of those. Yeah. Right. I heard uh, that's what uh, that's why cats were so big in um, Egypt back in the day. It was because they they kept the grain stores oh, safe. Oh yeah. Yeah, cats so, are extremely useful. Yeah. For, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's probably worldwide that cats are really yeah. useful. So that's why they're so domesticated after you know thousands and thousands of years. It's, it's like they're domesticated, but they're not at the same time. You know, that's what I mean? true because a wild cat is pretty wild. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I bet Mikey could survive out on his own. Oh yeah, every any a lot cat of could. cats can just dogs. No, they're yeah. We had, some we, had of cat, could, but... we had a cat that would disappear for weeks at a time when I was younger, and all of a sudden he'd come right back, you know? It's like, what have you been doing, you know? So we hadn't eaten. Yeah. We hadn't fed him, so... Cats are he's getting funny something. animals. Yeah. Um, so there was also... Uh, they were also part of uh, acting as spies in the trenches. Ooh, interesting. Some were used to relay messages, uh, moving behind enemy lines and relaying oh. messages. One time during the famous Christmas truce of 1914, yeah. you've heard of that story. Uh-huh. The, the 
uh, Germans and the Allies took a they had like a day long break and they went and played like soccer with each other. Yeah, and they were talking trading supplies. Yeah, yeah, just like just for a truce. I don't know if it was just one day or it was time a uh, t- certain time period, but yeah, that's kind of cool. But uh, this cat was named Felix and went back and forth between Allied and German troops carrying friendly messages oh. uh, tucked in his collar. Nice. But a French general decided not to take any chances and had the cat, the cat shot for treason. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, cats are... <sighs> Cats are really kind of unsung heroes, and they reminded uh, the soldiers during one of history's darkest times. Uh, cats provided soldiers with and sailors with a little comfort and a little aid. So, nice. got to respect the cats yeah. sometimes. They can be little shitheads, and they are little <laughs> murderers, but I have, cats are, they have their place. They, yeah, say they that. do. Okay, so Dave, I know you have... Uh, an interesting story for us. So yeah. how about, let's turn it over to you for right now. Hey, let's do it. Yeah, mine's about a specific animal as well. So this is in World War II. I'm going to start at the beginning, too. Yeah. Um, this starts out Poland. Was, <laughs> it was actually the start of the war. Germany yeah. and Russia both take over Poland. Boom. Mm-hmm. They take it. So the Russians, they put Polish soldiers in, in the uh, their, their gulags. Right. So, but then in 41, when Germany invaded Russia, they were like, hey, all right, that's it. So they, they kind of, they let, they let the uh, uh, Polish soldiers go. They're like, oh, uh, we're not going to keep you anymore. Right. You know, because it's like, we got, you can fight for us We got now. other things going yeah. on. And here's where I kind of have conflicting information on. Um, there was a group of Polish soldiers. Um, one, one says that the Russians said, hey, we're going to let you out. You make a... You make a army and fight for us. Another one says no. They were kicked out. Russia let them out and then kicked them out of the, out. Probably because you know they can't support them. They're like just no, get no. out. We're having a hard time even supporting our own citizens. Yeah. So they kicked them out and then Britain um, said, "Hey, make an army. We'll fund you." You know. And so they did, and they went down into uh, Iran. Uh, in the, for These the, Polish in, soldiers? In the Middle East, yeah, to oh, fight okay. the Middle Eastern War. And they were with the Allies. War in the Middle East, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and when they were there, they came across a little boy that had a little bear cub. Oh, yeah? And they're like, oh, that's pretty neat. And they bought the bear cub. Uh, apparently, its its mom was killed by hunters, and so they just mm-hmm. said, you know, the bear was on its own. And so the, sold, the Polish soldiers were like, oh, hey, I'll buy it off you. So they gave him a little bit of money and some uh, chocolate and some, yeah. something else, and... They got a bear cub. So, do you know what kind of bear? <laughs> it was a Syrian, a Syrian brown bear. Syrian, so brown bear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, now they have that, and uh, this, he he was with them. They'd feed it. They fed it uh, milk from a vodka bottle, you know, because it was still a baby. <laughs> oh, bear. that sounds pretty Polish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and then it, you know it got bigger and bigger. So um, and then in forty three, um, the Polish army was then sent. Yeah, I think Germany evacuated uh, the Middle East. It uh-huh. was lost cause for it. Right. So the Polish army was then sent to Italy to mm-hmm. Monte Cassino. So they go to take their bear on there, and he, you know, he's grown by then. And they're like, "No, you can't. Only soldiers can board ships." I'm like, "Well, we'll, we'll fix that." <laughs> so they enlisted the bear <laughs> and made him a soldier. What's he his was, name? Uh, his name is Wojtek. Wojtek. It's spelled That's really a weird. Good name. It's spelled W O J T. 
E-K. Yeah. I came across this bear in oh, my studies. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was pronounced Wojtek. Wojtek. That's a pretty yeah. good name. Yeah. It, it means it means happy warrior or happy soldier. Okay. Because apparently this bear was really friendly because they raised it as a yeah. cub. So anyway, they got it to go with them as a soldier. It was on the it was on the payroll, you know, <laughs> had its own uh, subscription number, whatever you call mm-hmm. it, and and they had it going. So they, um, in uh, Monte Cassino, he was the the guys that were taking care of it. Well, no, let me I don't want to tell that yet. Let's go. Let's start there. So they raised it. They had to play with it, you know. And he was really, he never was aggressive with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. He really lived up to his name. He was just a friendly friendly bear. Okay. And but the. So the soldiers taught taught the bear to how to lift the the newbies up by the heels and make them think they're getting eaten. <laughs> so wait, the bear picked them up. We pick them up by the heels, and they're like, "Oh no, you're gonna get eaten!" They would freak Gosh. out. They would laugh, you know. <laughs> Give the rookies. Yeah. Like... yeah. So they taught the bear how to do this. They taught him all kinds of stuff. They they would play soccer with them, I guess. And oh, and uh, um, um, they taught him to smoke. They would, they would give him uh, cigarettes, lit cigarettes, and uh, they said they would. He'd take a puff and then swallow and eat it. <laughs> not, I'm I'm sure they got him drunk too. Oh yeah, he would. He drank beer too when he was older. Oh, I'm sure. He would get his hands on anything. You know, supplies then were yeah. So limited. anything he could get, he was and he was a big eat. yeah. I mean, he's a he's a bear. He's got to eat, so he was always trying. They said when he'd drink the beer. He'd drink it all gone and then spend the rest of the time looking through the empty hole, wondering where the rest of the beer is. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But uh, he's anyway. And so when they get to Monte Cassino, he's with an artillery column. Um, and the his main caretaker chained him up once. He had to chain him up because he had to go out and spot for the artillery. Okay. And so while he's chained up. Um, the artillery's going like crazy. Monte Cassino was nuts. It was bombed, artillery shelled like crazy. It was yeah. I don't. That was pretty nasty. I remember reading that stuff. Okay. But uh, anyway, um, there were guys carrying ammunition. Uh, you know the howitzer shells to, uh, over for the all the guns. And so the story goes that he was watching him carry those. So then he starts picking up ammunition boxes and carrying them over <laughs> and taking them over. And so. That was that's the big story with with this bear is that you know he he, he started helping out yeah I mean it it makes sense because he was learning all this stuff he learned you know he'd take cigarettes he was drinking beer with him you know they they taught him all this stuff and he yeah he put it right on he Bears thought he was a, he practically thought he was a human he was raised Probably. by humans so it was really interesting so after that the Polish uh, uh, regiment they made. Uh, uh, let me see if I can find it. They made a, uh, their, what do you, I don't know what you call it, insignia, um, was now the bear as the mascot, oh, okay. holding a howitzer shell under one <laughs> arm. It was really cool. But that became their, their uh, insignia. Their, it ended up becoming uh, the Polish, they still use the it? Polish Army's uh, thing, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So it was really interesting. So he's a pretty famous bear. Yeah. So and he they would wrestle with him all the time. Mm-hmm. You see you see video of some guys boxing him, you know. And he was really and he just sitting <laughs> there like oh, you know, <laughs> like they're not doing anything to him. But he was really very friendly, very huh. docile. So oh here here, here's this here's the picture of it. Oh that's cool. It looks yeah. like a bear with a big bomb over his <laughs> yeah. over his shoulder. Yeah, that was awesome. But uh, yeah, so then after fighting in Italy, the Polish army was then sent up to Scotland, okay. and in forty five they were they were uh, uh, disbanded. Dis- disbanded, yeah. 
And the Polish, they wanted to take him with them, but there there was no Poland yet. Like, yeah. They're like, oh, it's still controlled. Russia took it. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we don't want. And the um, they've interviewed soldiers from that point. And one of them said, you know, we really wanted him to be with us. You know, it's kind of sad that we had to leave him. But we thought, hey, we don't want to take him back, tell our stories and then have communist Russia use the bear as, as their theirs. symbol. Because they definitely would have. Yeah. So they're like, we we left him there. They had, um, it was it was really neat. They had a, a Scottish soldier that actually trained the Polish soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's back in Scotland. So and and his daughter ended up marrying one of the guys from the uh, regiment. Okay. And and she had because they had the bear on there, so she had the bear for a while, and then they put it in the Edinburgh. Edinburgh, Berg, zoo. Berg's, Edin, Edinburgh. God, Edinburgh. why am I messing up? They put him in the zoo there, and uh, so he and he lived out his days there. And um, it said the Polish soldiers would come back to visit him. And they'd they throw him they... cigarettes to eat, <laughs> and he still would. And um, and it was said that any time he heard someone speaking Polish, he'd get excited. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was. In, it's really interesting. That's but a cool he, story. So he lived until 1963. Died at the age of of uh, 21 okay. they said it was uh, partially due to um, esophageal scars most likely from swallowing <laughs> from burning cigarettes. cigarettes yeah so remember kids smoking will kill you <laughs> but uh, yeah that was that was a pretty awesome story yeah the, I remember guy. reading about him a little yeah. bit and, and that's along one of those other lines that they don't talk about much is really what kind of morale boosting is that I mean, it's for a big people one. that could be shell shocked you wonder if that helps lessen that Oh, yeah. warfare, you know? Well, you know, having, like, a dog around is nice. Yeah. It, it makes you happier. So having mascots around is a big thing in, in all of war. I've got a couple more things. Oh, to, right on. Yeah. To talk about. But yeah, well, that was a good story, Dave. Thanks. Nice, yeah. What was, what's the bear's name again? Wojtek. Wojtek. I like that yeah. name. Yeah. It sounds like a good man. Name your son Wojtek. Wojtek. <laughs> I need a Russian woman or a Polish woman, I guess. The next time you get a furry, do- a fuzzy dog, you name it Wojtek. Yeah. Yeah, or dog. I'll just name a dog Wojtek. <laughs> all right. But yeah, good story. So... I got another one for us, and uh, we are going to 1952 during the Korean War. Ooh. So a young Korean man sold his beloved racehorse named Achim, Achimha, hmm. maybe, but that means flame in the morning. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he sold it to the United States Marines so he could purchase a prosthetic leg for his sister, who lost her limb uh, on a landmine. Oh. I don't know if he got it or not, but... That's pretty sweet, I like though. to think That's he did. Gesture, yeah. yeah. So the Marines then renamed the horse. They named it Reckless. <laughs> Reckless is a... Sounds f- like a Marine name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reckless is a female and was very friendly with the troops, sharing rations, living in their quarters, even snuggling with them at night. Nice. So it's not too far from the bear story. Right on. She was famous for her appetite. She loved candy, beer, eggs, and coffee. Anything Marines ate. Well, not everything. She was also known for eating poker chips and a few <laughs> and a few hats. <laughs> nice. Uh, Reckless was used to carry ammunition. Her finest hour came during the f- uh, five-day battle of Outpost Vega in March 1953. Hmm. Uh, on this day, she made 51 trips to the front lines. Yeah, in one day, 51 trips. Wow. 
most of them unaccompanied, so she's Gee. by herself. She brought ammunition on her back. She brought that to the front lines, and then on her way out, she took wounded Marines back oh, with her. Oh, wow. How many miles was that? I got, um, so she brought oh. in over 9,000 pounds of ammo and Jeez. walked over 35 miles to, in total. Oh, okay, wow. Of uh, under enemy fire. And she Jeez. was even wounded twice, but kept oh my going. Goodness. So this is a hell of a horse. Wow. For her bravery, Reckless was promoted to Staff Sergeant. Nice. She was eventually awarded two Purple Hearts, as nice. well as other medals. Now, the Purple Heart, do you know exactly what that is? Yeah, for being wounded in combat. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, after the war, Sergeant Reckless was shipped to the United States in San Francisco. On November 10th, 1954, uh, she was feted at the Marine Corps Ball. That same evening, where she ate both the cake and flowers. Nice. Just before... Uh, oh, that reminds me of that story I used to read to the kids. Uh, Rosie the Rose Horse. You ever hear that one? No, I don't. Oh, know. Mind, I'm sorry. Yeah, had flowers and a cake. <laughs> Maybe that's where they got it from. Uh, probably. Uh, but just before a parade was held uh, for her, she ate her custom-made blanket. So a substitute had to be quickly made... To hold her medals. I guess yeah, something to hold oh, her medals wow. on her. But Sergeant Reckless lived peacefully at Camp Pendleton until the de- until her death in 1968. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so there's... I mean, Camp had, Pendleton, that's in San Diego, isn't it? Might be. I think it is somewhere around there. Okay. But, I mean, we've had a couple stories similar, like with... with um, how, what was his name? The Bear? Voitech. Voitech. Yeah. We had Bill the Goat and yeah. Reckless. And I think yeah. I got a, We even had Stubbs the Dog in a previous episode. Remember that? From World War I? I? I don't think we did. We did. I, I told it. Oh, you did. Yeah. 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 We, we did. That was on um, Which episode, that episode was? 26, Hero Animals. Oh, okay. I, I would think that was the one, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I've got one or two more like that, too. So our next story, uh, we are going to Soviet Russia. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> That's pretty. We that's a pretty good accent to do. <laughs> uh, I have heard of this story before. Uh, in the 1930s, the Soviets began training dogs to blow up enemy tanks. Oh, you've heard of this, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, initially, the Soviets tried to teach the dogs to drop bombs under the tanks and then return back to their handlers. But this training uh, was deemed <laughs> too too complicated, and the dogs frequently returned with. Uh, the explosive still attached and nothing <laughs> happening. Yeah. So the Soviets modified the bombs to detonate on impact, making their dogs like unwilling kamikazes. Uh, they put saddles on the dogs carrying the explosives. The explosives had two sets of six kilograms of TNT. I don't know how much that is, but if it's going to blow a tent, uh, tank up, I'm assuming it's it's enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was they want that would explode the bottom of the tank, which is seen as the most vulnerable part. Yeah. During training, they would keep the dogs without food for a while, and then put hot food under the tanks, and the dogs would go under the tanks, and then the food was there. That's kind of how they taught them to go under like that. Yeah. Uh, then they were taught this in simulations with gunfire and with the tanks running. So they started just with the tank, and then they got heavier and heavier. 
so according to official Soviet reports, the anti-tank dogs were highly successful, damaging around 300 German tanks. Hmm. But, you know, and as I'm sure you know, everything the Soviets said is 100% true at all times, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Uh, once, once you look past the propaganda, the program was actually kind of a failure. Oh. Uh, when sent into real action, the dogs were too frightened by all the gunfire and, and the explosions mm. that most of them couldn't uh, do their job or oh. do what they're supposed to do. And they turned back. Uh, and they also couldn't tell the, <coughs> excuse me, the differences between a German Panzer tank or a Soviet T thirty four. Oh, I guess the they Ger- trained them under T thirty four. So yeah, the Soviets used diesel and diesel fuel, and uh-huh. then I guess the Germans used regular. Oh, and they got the they couldn't the smelling they were because they could smell the difference. So that oh, was mixed, throwing okay. them off, I guess. Hmm. Uh, therefore, they mistook and blew up a few of their own tanks. Oh. Uh, not only that, they often retreated back, and the Soviet soldiers were forced to shoot them so the bombs wouldn't be set off. Oh, yeah. And this actually this actually didn't sit well with the Soviet soldiers either. Mm. They said enough men were being killed, and now they're killing dogs. Oh, yeah. So soldiers weren't... They weren't into that as much. Uh, but And the Nazis... They saw use of the dogs as a desperate measure by Stalin and used their own propaganda to discredit them, hmm. saying the Soviets sent dogs instead of men into battle. Oh. So, so the Nazis were really good at their propaganda and turning, spinning things like that. Soviets were good at it too, but I think the Nazis might yeah. be better. However, there is evidence of some success. For example, at the Battle of Kursk, Mm-hmm. Isn't that the famous big tank, big tank battle? battle? Yeah, yeah. Um, sixteen dogs uh, disabled twelve German tanks. Oh. So it wasn't all a failure. There was some success. It, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. If you could get a dog to go under a tank and blow it up, that sounds yeah. good in theory, but it didn't work that well. Mm. Okay, so let's go back to World War One with this next story, and we are going to meet a pig. This pig was carried on the German warship, the SMS Dresden, in 1914 as a food source. That's what all it was meant to be. <laughs> the Dresden was sunk in battle with uh, by the Royal Navy cruiser, the HMS Glasgow, and it was sunk off the coast of South America during the Battle of Massa Tierra. Mm, I've never heard of interesting. it. Interesting. But the pig managed to escape the sinking ship and swam towards uh, the Glasgow. Huh. The crew brought uh, brought him aboard and adopted him as their mascot. Nice. They named the pig uh, Turpitz. Turpitz? Turpitz, yeah. Yes. Uh, after a German admiral, Alfred von Turpitz. <laughs> uh, Turpitz served with the Glasgow and was even awarded the Iron Cross for bravery. Hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, Turpitz was eventually auctioned off as pork. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but in his final act, he raised uh, almost $1,800 for the British Red Cross. I don't. That's way back then money. It's probably a lot more. Yeah. That's probably a good amount of money yeah. that, he, that uh, Turpitz raised. 
His head was mounted and can be seen at the Imperial War Museum in London. That kind of yeah. <laughs> that sounds degrading, mounting the head. It, well, uh, well, the rest had to be eaten. <laughs> oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> well, you did your duty. Uh, know, huh? Now it's time to take you out to the farm, if you know what I mean. <laughs> All right, so I've got one more story for us this episode. It's another hero animal uh, in... Another hero animal in war in World War Two, and a surprising animal used in a surprising animal that are actually used have been used in war quite a bit are pigeons, carrier mm. pigeons. Mm-hmm. They used to send messages from distances. Um, this story is about a particular pigeon named Joe. Oh, it must have been from New York. It almost. <laughs> it, Joe is an American pigeon from Fort Mom. Uh, Monmouth, New Jersey. Fort so, Monmouth? Okay. He's, nice. from, he's from Jersey, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, Joe performed an important task during a British advance on the town of Calvi, Italy. Hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Hmm. Calvi, I don't know. As they were moving in, the Nazis abandoned the town just ahead of a planned U.S. airstrike. So the Nazis are gone and the British are moving in. And there's a plan to bomb that place, and oh, nobody knows. Okay. And radio communications couldn't reach the airfield 20 miles away. So a message was uh, strapped to Joe, and he was sent in the air. Joe flew the 20 miles in only 20 minutes. That's wow. pretty fast. That seems really fast for pigeon. Yeah, it does. I don't know how accurate this is, but we're going with it. Uh his message reached the airfield just as the bombers were taking off with only five minutes to spare. The bombing run was canceled. Wow. Saving the lives of over a thousand British troops who would have died if it wasn't for Joe, the pigeon. Wow. Joe retired to the Detroit zoological gardens until he died in 1961 at the age of 18. Wow. That seems like a long time too. That's great. His body was mounted and displayed for years at <laughs> same, Fort Monmouth. Same fate as the pig, I guess. Yeah. Which uh, cl- which the fort closed in 2011, so I have no idea where Joe is anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, but we had a we had a lot of similar a lot of similar stories in some of them, huh? Yeah. Like like with uh crap. What's his name? Voitek? Voitek. I got to yeah. write that down. <laughs> Yeah, Wojtek and uh, Bill. Uh, there's a lot of similar stories yeah. in the animals. Yeah, it's nice to see them get their due, though, you know? Yeah, and it really is. Get their honor for what they do. And, Dave, that is going to wrap up the episode. Nice. I hope everyone enjoyed these really cool and interesting stories. Well, I did. Animals and Warfare. Yeah, I, I found this one a lot of fun. And like I said, I was a bit strapped for time this week, so we're going to do a part two on this topic next week. So we're going to have more crazy stories next week. Uh, it should be fun. I've, I already know of a couple things I want to talk about. Oh, right on. There's, I want to cover, I want to do a little more on horses, maybe more of it, a little more on the history side, but we'll okay. listen to some stories. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll, I'll figure it out as I'm doing it. Okay. Like I normally do. So, and I wanted to say this to everyone at the end of next month in June will be our one year anniversary. Hey. Yay. And I have an idea for an episode where we will kind of retell some of our favorite stories from the year. So, Dave, think okay. think of some that you really liked. Um, 
And anybody else, if you have a favorite story, a couple favorite stories, let us know uh, what they are, and then we can share them again. And also, I think we're uh, going to cover a few stories from listeners that have sent in stories as oh, well. Oh, right on. There's, I got one in particular that's going to be really good. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be the plan for, well, in a couple. We still got a couple weeks for that. Okay. We'll see. Yeah, we got a couple weeks, and then I'm thinking about doing a shark episode coming up soon again. Mm. It's summertime, pretty much. Yeah, so. thanks, Matt. Oh, yeah, Dave has a <laughs> huge fear of sharks, so... <laughs> you ready for that one? <laughs> right before we go to the beach. Yeah. All right. We're either going to cover the bull shark or the great white. Oh, yes. Your two favorites. Or the tiger. <laughs> All three. Um, I haven't decided yet. So I will probably have a shark episode coming up sometime soon, though. All right. All right. So, Dave, if our listeners want to help out and contribute to the show, what can they do for us? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. <laughs> Oh, I got oh, worse man, today. that was bad. Oh. Well, they can go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, give us a review, give us five stars, say something you like about the show. The ratings and reviews, they really help us out, guys. So take the 20, 30 seconds and do that for us. It means a lot. Uh, like I said, I've, I've said this multiple times. I've learned that the ratings and the reviews are what really helps a podcast climb the charts and helps make them more popular. And we want to be a popular show. Yeah, I work hard on making this, and uh, Dave works hard as well for 20 minutes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Dave works hard. (laughs) So uh, review means a lot more than you think, and you can do that on whatever platform you use, or you can even go to our Facebook page and give us one there. And we will give shout-outs to anyone who does. Now, if you want to be an even more wonderful person, become a producer of the show, you can go to... PayPal or Venmo and leave a little donation. That would mean a whole lot to us. I don't care if it's $1, $100, anything helps. And we will absolutely love you for helping us. Uh, I've said it before, I want to try and um, we're, we're going to try to get some merchandise going. Uh, maybe I want some t-shirts or hats, some coffee mugs. Yeah. I want to do a lot of things. So don- donations are going to help us get that going. So it, it does mean a lot to us if you can help out. Yeah. So you can do that on PayPal. You can find us by our email, forceofnaturepod at gmail.com, or on Venmo on my personal account, Matthew-Hamilton-51. And that's all in the description below as well. And to all the listeners, feel free to contact us if you ever want to. Tell us a cool animal-related story of you or someone you know. And do that quick, because then we might be able to mention it on our anniversary episode. So yeah. if you have a cool story, now's the time to send it in. But also, if you want to suggest an episode idea, or if you just want to ask a question or say hi, please feel free. You can email us or message us on Facebook at any time. Also, help us grow by recommending us to family and friends. Tell them we are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all the ones we need to be on. Anything to add, Dave? No, I'm good. All right. Colonel Cheetor? Those were some pretty cool animals, but I outrank all of those jabronis. Well, that's true. I guess that is true, right? Yeah. Well, good for you, Cheetor. This is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends, be a part of building us up, and we will see you next week. Bye.